Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Haig Balian and I am with Mark Dreyer. He is the author of the amazing book, Sporting Superpower. Mark, how are you? I am very well, but I have to say, Haig, yes. I owe you an apology. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Last week, yeah. I failed to notice you'd had a dramatic... I was hurt. ...re-imaging yeah, yeah. of the face. Yep. The yep. beard had come off. Yeah, I, you know, I, just, I sort of thought there were two things that happened. Number one, I had this crisis. Am I actually a beard guy? Maybe I am. Maybe it'll come back. Okay. And the second thing was, it's getting warmer here in Beijing. Itchier, scratchier. It's itchier, scratchier, sweatier. Yeah. Who nice. wants that? Well, who wants to hear about that, to be honest? Uh, people um, <laughs> people <laughs> want to hear about this. Do you have any idea how, many, how much feedback I've got about this? But, but here's the thing. It is back. Yeah. Like it came off. You were well, largely no. clean shaven last week, and now it's it's looking scraggy again. I'll well, be honest. Uh, well, it's that's that's just being lazy. Okay, all right. Well, what are we, what are we talking about today? Well, we're, we're going to talk about a lot a lot of things. Um, we're going to talk about the Paralympics. Yeah, we're going to talk about Victor On, who is a coach for the speed skating team. He got in some trouble. He's been cancelled. He's been cancelled. Um, let's see if he has a way to uh, <laughs> uncancel himself here in China anyway. And then we're going to end up talking about this really interesting Stephen Wade piece in the AP about the Olympics and the fine line that the Olympics has been walking for the longest time and whether that whether that's essentially just gone now after yeah, the yeah, invasion yeah. Of, of Ukraine. You know, a couple of things though, Mark. Can I, can I officially tell you that I'm in the post-Olympics doldrums? Yeah, you can. But I'm kind of not too like I you know I drove up to the airport last week and it was the first time I'd seen one of those special Olympics lanes. Yeah. Which is so obnoxious. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I cannot believe people yeah. in Beijing had to deal with that for like over a month. More than that. I think I've moved on from my blues. Okay. Um, that's you know, good. I was I, to be honest, I I took it a little bit personally that my three vaccinations um, and regular listeners will have heard me rant about this before, but you know, I had the wrong three vaccinations, so I wasn't able to uh, yeah to, to 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 go and see anything either from the uh, the Olympics or the Paralympics. Um, not too many people were, so I understand that I would have been sort of particularly privileged to do that. But it was just frustrating that they could have had a lot more people in. Anyway, we've moved on. It was you know. 
We've moved on. Absolutely. So, but there are a couple of things from the Paralympics that we haven't really talked about yet. The first thing is that China has done really, really well. I mean, really, really, really well. They dominated. They came in first in the gold medal count with 18 and 61 medals in total. That is really far ahead of Ukraine, which came in second place with 11 gold and 29 medals in total. You know, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, you mentioned how the home country gets gets a boost. Yeah. So what what does or what should China take away from all of this success? Well, if you look at the uh, the official Chinese talking points, you know, it's, of course, how they've invested in para sport and, and how, um, you know, all the accessibility and, and how they're raising up all disabled people across the country. And, and I think some of that is true. You know, I think first and foremost, we have to give the Chinese team an incredible amount of credit for, for, for the, their performance. Because going back to 2002, Salt Lake City in the Winter Paralympics, um, China didn't win uh, any medals of any color until four years ago, 2018. One gold medal in the wheelchair curling. Uh, and then to come out with a 60-odd medal performance is absolutely sensational. Yes, we were expecting them to do very well. Uh, it was very hard to predict exactly the, the relative strengths of the nations. But it's not that simple. And I think there are a couple of, uh, a couple of things in particular uh, why I think China has done um, even better than, than people were predicting. I mean, number one, Ukraine and, and Belarus were, were kicked out just days before it started. And if you look at the last two Winter Paralympics, it's something like about 120 medals that those two countries had won. Now, of course, Russia, 2014 in Sochi, they got the, the home boost. But it's not uh, as simple as that. Uh, Ukraine came in second place. They're only in two sports. They're only in biathlon and cross country. They absolutely dominate. So um, with, you know, they're, they're obviously picking up quite a lot of the medals that, uh, that, that, that the Russians and, and the Belarusians uh, have, were not able to compete for this time. Uh, but China definitely benefited uh, from that. Uh, I haven't yet done sort of an intensive breakdown on, on, on how many medals they would have got. I'm probably not going to do that. If anyone listening wants to do it, uh, we, I'd be happy I'd to, love to, hear it, to, but, yeah. <laughs> to, to take a look. But, you know, I do think that, um, uh, you know, that is one reason why they got 60 medals going up from their previous record of, of one medal four years that, ago. That's, that's, that's incredible. There's this really interesting topic in Paralympic sport about variation in medals. And we sort of we saw that a lot with this one athlete, Oksana Masters. She's an American Paralympic athlete who competes in bo- in rowing, cycling, and cross-country skiing. She is elite at all three of these sports. In fact, she is the most decorated American winter Paralympian. And here in Beijing, she won three gold medals and four silver. And she lost a race to Chinese athlete, I believe it's Yang Hongchong, in the middle distance event. And after the race, she was heard to say she wanted to race against, quote, honest people. I get to rest my head at night, proud of my silver medal, honest, pure, and clean, and I'm just so happy, she said. And then she said, they have a history, and she was referring to the Chinese athletes, from rowing and cycling and everything else, of never showing up until a month before the games or or at the games, and that's it. There are some athletes who are there in Pyeongchang, and they're not the ones who are there now dominating. So... What is the accusation that she's making? Okay, this is a delicate subject, uh, and there's lots of of lots of stuff to talk about on both sides. I mean, first of all, you know, Masters, as you said, an, an absolutely elite athlete, born in Ukraine, actually, um, but uh, competing for the U.S. What she uh, appears to be talking about, the accusation is doping, but not the usual kind of doping, classification doping. So, what that means in the Paralympic terms is that everyone is classified according to their impairment or their disability. And 
of course, every single human is, is different. So even if you have effectively the same impairment, you're slightly different, or you could be slightly different. So instead of having 135 athletes competing in 135 different categories and everyone getting a gold medal and it's just, you know, uh, medals for participation, they have to try to combine as many people as possible. Uh, so there's a time factor or, or a calculation that's factored in so that the different impairments in the same event can, can be combined and then we can see who, who is the winner. So, so in Masters' case, you know, from, from what I could tell, she was winning some of her races by minutes in some cases by a huge distance and then it turned out she'd get the silver because yang hong chong who actually won she won three golds for china uh, and ended up well she was the flag bearer uh for for china at the closing ceremony so so one of china's best athletes at these games uh no one had no, known of her before uh she won three of the golds at, at least some of them were competing directly against masters so that was where the frustration was now Yes, it could be elements of sour grapes, for sure. Um, I think, you know, she kind of veers into slightly dangerous territory when she sort of starts generalizing about they have a history and sort of like anti-Chinese rhetoric. Again, not putting words into her mouth, but that's how it could come across. And so that's why I said it's, it's particularly delicate. But I think with the classification, you know, classification doping in the Paralympics is basically is pretending that you're actually slightly worse than your physical situation. So you get a better time factor or you be a better calculation once everything is taken into, into, into account. And it is, it's, it's, you know, it's a combination of art and science here. Um, how do you measure some of these impairments? A lot of these impairments are degenerative. So people are getting reclassified and that I think is the issue. So if you're in one band and it, you know, you're so, so for example, when it comes to uh, visual impairments, there are three different categories. So when do you, you know, at some point you, your, your, you know, your vision gets worse, but you don't necessarily change category. And then at some point you do. So when it's borderline, there's a case to make. And of course, some athletes will be like, well, he's, you know, he or she is, is putting it on. They can see better than they can, you know, for example. Right. Um, but that, that will be a kind of an obvious one that, that people can think about. But a lot of these impairments are very, well, they're, they're unique. And so comparing across categories, they do it to make it exciting sporting competition, to have, you know, value to these medals. Uh, otherwise, you're literally just giving out medals to, to every every athlete. And so they have to do it. But, you know, the, the system arguably is is fairly easy to manipulate. I mean, there was this great article in uh, 538.com that, you know, sort of attempts to explain how this works and, and whether, whether it does work. And essentially, it's just that it's an imperfect system. And there is there actually a way to make it absolutely perfect? And I don't think, I don't think there is. Yeah. And, and I think for these particular games with the pandemic, given China has basically no history in Winter Paralympics, most of these athletes had not competed um, against in international competition at all. So... Some of the athletes are thinking like, wow, they, they're amazing. We've never seen them. But there's also elements of like, you know, where the hell do they come from and, and what the hell's going on? You know, we have had some classic examples like the, uh, the Spanish wheelchair basketball team from, from years ago where, you know, they, it turns out they, were, they weren't paralyzed at all and they could all, you know, a bunch of them Wait, could walk. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a huge Paralympic scandal. Yeah. So so this is not a new thing and it's not specific to China. These accusations kind of do get thrown around in parasport. And it's, again, kind of sensitive because, you know, people are like, well, it's a little bit delicate. Oh, you can't accuse, uh, you know, a Paralympic athlete of faking it. You know, they've obviously got a real impairment. Yes, they do. But to what degree? 
So, you know, it goes to show these people are competitive. <laughs> you know, these athletes are elite, as you said. They're competitive. They want to win. Maybe it's sour grapes. Um, maybe maybe there's something to it. You know, it's kind of like um, we talked about some of the judged sports, you know, where you have ice figure, figure skating and so on. We've had that in the past. I hate you know? judged sports. So, yeah. so it, it's, it's one of those. Is there a perfect answer? No, there isn't. But yeah. I think, you know, you can't not talk about it yeah. when you go from one medal to, to 60 plus. Mark, let's let's move on to uh, let's move on to Victor on. Now, this was a story in SubChina this week. Ahn is a Russian speed skater. He was born in South Korea, and he won six gold medals for South Korea. Very popular in China because he helped build a successful program here. He owns a cosmetics brand with his wife, Wu Nari. And on their website, somebody somebody discovered uh, that they had made a reference to Taiwan as a country, which, you know, in China, people get very... Yeah. Upset with that. An and Nari very quickly apologized and they blamed their web designers, but not before losing sponsors. You know, look, there's there's a history of this stuff happening here. Uh, you can remember John Cena, for example. He's that wrestler who was yeah. in the movie. I forget the name of the I movie. Mean, there's a string of brands. Like, it's like the, the Chinese internet... It, Honestly, it's so tedious. It's so tedious. Like just bored people online are, are like searching websites, trying to find, you know, a, a misclassification of something. It's like in China, yeah, I get that people are saying, but like the reaction is so over the top. And, you know, here's a guy, Victor An, who is absolutely beloved for being a, a central part, as a Korean, no less, um, for being a central part of, of China's program. I actually know the guy who re, uh, helped recruit him for the Chinese team, um, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's uh, and he said he was, he was, you know, talking with him, he just sort of feels just kind of disappointed by the whole situation. I get that people are upset, but it's like... Some people are upset. We're talking about, yeah. we're talking about an e-commerce site, you know, yeah. for, they have, in Taiwan, they got a different currency, they got completely different shipping logistics. Of course, you're going to list it separately, when it's a different jurisdiction, you know, whether someone, some web designer in South Korea got the right terminology in a language they probably don't speak, like, really, we're going to cancel people and, and cancel sponsorships for this? Uh, yeah. Because it was his wife's company had something. I was like, come on. But, and, and here's the thing, though. I mean, in China, in Taiwan, this is a big deal. Yeah. This is a very, very big deal. Outside of China, people don't no really don't, yeah. they don't they don't, that, they don't, know, yeah, they don't right. know about it yeah. they don't know about yeah. it and it's the situation where very quickly and very publicly they have to sort of learn about this yeah does it does it have to be that way can it can it be like if well you... it's not going to change anytime soon because this is something the government feels very strongly about so there's no way they're ever going to censor that this kind of online wave of, of nationalism uh, that we see again and again against foreign brands people to be honest people should know better by this stage if, if you're going to do business in china this is one of the things you should know about so so that i would say that about about the company but it, they won't be the last people to uh, to fall foul of uh, of you know chinese uh, internet users now there's one other thing about this because you were telling me earlier about uh, this new book. What's it called? Red. It's red called carpet. the. It's called the red carpet. I I haven't read it yet. It's from a Wall Street Journal writer. Uh, I think he was on Kaiser's podcast right. uh, a couple of weeks ago. I've heard a bunch of interviews with him, and it's 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 a book that you know, it's, and it's something that I've sort of followed over the last couple of years as well. And he charts the. Uh, connection between Hollywood and China. And over the last, say, 10, 15 years, it's changed a lot yeah. uh, where, you know, China was once an afterthought for Hollywood. Yeah. Um, it became 
absolutely crucial. You had uh, to be in the Chinese market. You, you had for a to movie, be, yeah. Especially if you're Marvel or if you're making a, you know, if you're a DC comic or that yeah. kind of thing, it's an extra two hundred million dollars. And people were either re-editing scripts or, or or just changing scripts fundamentally in the first place. Yeah. To make sure that they uh, please the Chinese censors, so to make sure that they get released here in China. Right. So, for example, Red Dawn. There was a remake of that movie, Red Dawn. Yeah. Where originally the villains were China. When and they filmed it that way, right? Yeah. Now, when China caught wind of that, they're like, "Well, you're not going to show that movie here." Yeah. So then, digitally, they went and they made, they made the villains North Koreans, which makes no sense. Like North Korea, just. It just it just doesn't make any sense. But um, so so you see these these kinds of things have happened, and that's sort of what led John Cena uh, last year to basically, basically appease appease the Chinese market. But so well, so for, like exactly. So so the question that that begs for me is, yeah. and from a, you know, if we can maybe connect that to to sports, is that it, are we going to get to a place where it's just not worth it? I mean, we're 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 already there. Honestly, I think we're already there. When I say that, I mean, people are asking the question, and I think we've talked about this before, but if you look at the English Premier League, they were all about China for, for years and years and years. But when you, have a, uh, when you have a situation where one player's tweet can get your games broadcast, you know, they had a Ukrainian um, anti-war message last yeah. weekend, and, and that, was, that was not broadcast in China. Games just, just overnight dropped from the, from the broadcasting schedule. Uh, then you've got the whole thing where where uh, some of the the contracts weren't paid from the broadcasters. China is is increasingly not worth the trouble when you have other options. Now I can't speak as much to to, to the Hollywood thing two two three hundred million in the Chinese market, which is still, from what I can tell, still seeing dramatic growth globally in in terms of the share of the of the global revenue for for getting a movie here. I think a lot of the Hollywood studios are going to still do what they can to to make sure they get a release here. But in terms of some of the sports leagues, people are people are thinking WTA has already moved on, yeah. right? Um, and other people, if they not moving on, they're going to ask the question. So unless China dials it back a little bit, like ultimately they're the ones who are going to lose out. Which is a nice segue to our last topic, which is that really interesting Stephen Wade piece in the AP. Uh, you sent it to me this morning. That I've been trying to parse it uh, since then. It, it comes after the breach of the Olympic truce, after Russia invaded Ukraine just before the, uh, the start of the Paralympics. Here's what he wrote. Following the invasion of Ukraine, acting because of the breach of the so-called Olympic truce, and not because of the war itself, the IOC recommended that sports federations and events organize, organizers not invite or allow Russian or Belarusian athletes to participate. But it left loopholes staying out of the fray and urged others to act. The IOC itself has not banned the Russian or Belarusian uh, Olympic committees, nor IOC members from those countries, nor has it asked publicly that IOC sponsors take any actions. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a great point. It, that's sort of the hypocrisy there by basically saying, well, we recommend these actions. Well, there's some pretty obvious ones that it could do, like like ban ban like like the article says, ban the Russian Olympic Committee. Like that would seem to be uh, <laughs> it's it's like do as I say, not as I do, right? So, um, but it it is a wider question just about you know sports and politics and and it's. You know, it, it's it's such a it's such a tired cliche to say, well, sports shouldn't be like. Does does anyone believe that anymore? Apart from apart I think, from I don't think they do. I don't think Chinese I don't, government talking heads. Yeah, by having competitions organized, if you, you have this, the Olympics are a competition that's organized by nation states. Yeah, so the fact that you have flags and the fact that there are what two hundred and three nations 
that are at the Olympics, yeah. whereas there's only something like 196 nations at the UN. Yeah. There's obviously something political there already. And here's the bit of a dilemma that they have, because the IOC, and, and we heard it from the sponsors in particular in the build-up to these games, they like to focus on the athletes, on the individuals themselves, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many great stories, and so I understand what they're doing. But if you take, and as Wade says, if you take the flags out of the Olympics, if you if you have athletes competing for themselves, not their countries, then the Olympics are, as a concept are basically done because that's what gets people fired up. Exactly. So the IOC has this balancing act, it's kind of like this impossible balancing act where it's trying to say, well, you know, it's not pitting nations against each other, but really it is. It, right? That's the whole point. <laughs> right? I mean, take the medal count away in that case. Well, that's the thing. So <laughs> so there have, I know there's been internal discussions about how much should we focus on the medals tables because it's always like, well, this country is number one and this is number two. So who's going to win between these two countries? We saw it like one of the big storylines in Tokyo was who was going to finish top of the table, US and China. That has much further ramifications outside the olympic world given what's happening in the world itself but it's oh like that's why people love the olympics because it brings glory to the nation and and that's one of it's one of the great things about the olympics yeah but it, but there is a flip side yeah totally and you know one of the things that you talked about was you know that how the ioc just says just tries to tries to keep it apolitical but what wade points out is that by calling it apolitical, it allows the IOC to sidestep or even side with these really tricky, problematic political issues that they can't really get away with now. Like with this Russian invasion, you, you can't you you can't sidestep that. Yeah. You just can't do it. So let me read one other part and get yeah. your reaction. Sure. So further down in the article, uh, Stephen Way says, in his first news conference eight and a half years ago as IOC president... <laughs> Thomas Bach spelled out the organization's position with a precise ambiguity. The IOC cannot be apolitical. Cannot be apolitical, Bach said. We have to realize that our decisions at events like Olympic Games, they have political implications. And when taking these decisions, we have to, of course, consider political implications. But before his words could be parsed, he added to the riddle and continued to say, but in order to fulfill our role to make sure that in the Olympic Games and for the participants, the charter, the Olympic charter he's referring to, is respected, we have to be strictly politically neutral. And then we also have to protect the athletes. What the hell's going on? We have to be political, but we have to be neutral? So, he, yeah. So he said, cannot be apolitical. Yeah. But be politically neutral. Yes. So when I heard, when I read that for the first time, I had to sort of make these mental... That is mental math. Like, cannot yeah. be apolitical. Okay, so we can be political. Yeah, but I must guess. be politically neutral. But must but be again, politically neutral. It's always, as we've said before, it, it's it's keeping your politics out of my games. That's yeah. what you know keeps politics out of sport means, right? Um, so again, it, it comes down to these subjective decisions that people are sort of saying, well, it's objective uh, uh, and so on, and and it comes down to well. Should we allow the majority view to, to, to guide or is that kind of bullying the, the people that we need to stand up for? We've seen that in terms of like the Belarusians and, the, Par uh, um, and the, the Russians at the Paralympics. Most of the nations came to the IPC and said, we won't compete if they're still here. So they kicked them out. But is it the IPC's job to say, well, you know what, that, that's pol politics and I'm sorry you don't like it. But, you know, obviously Maybe. that wasn't a decision they made, but, yeah. but that, that would be the flip. Uh, the the reverse view, and, and we've talked about this as well. That the next Olympics are in France. Now, I'm not sure you've you know this about the French, but but they like to protest. <laughs> 
<laughs> so so this is going to be interesting. Wade ended the essay with the speculation of like this Cold War mentality, maybe coming back to the Olympics and how that really turns a lot of people off. But maybe that's where we're going to be. I mean, are we going to have boycotts again yeah. in the future? Like not like these stupid diplomatic boycotts, not, you know, we've got actual real boycotts. Is that going to happen again? Well, from a bigger picture, you know, the Olympics, uh, they always talk about the Olympics in crisis, right? So this is not a new term. So, for example, all the young people had tuned out. So that's why they're bringing in snowboarding and skateboarding and so on. So that's one of the things they've had to deal with. Then it's been the the authoritarian states with Russia and, and, and China hosting the games. And that's been another crisis. Uh, you know, the, the politics is is not going to go away. So it's a balance. You've got to keep people engaged. And as we as we just earlier said, you know, the the, the whole nation the, the the nationalist elements certainly engage people all around the world um but it, yeah it's uh it's no easy answers i think um uh, but but certainly interesting to talk no about. i want i want an easy answer though, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, yes yes good that's what you heard it here from first yes mark let's let's just leave it there uh we're gonna talk to you very soon mark where, where can people find you uh twitter's probably the best at dryer china d-r-e-y-e-r china and I am at Haig Balian. That's H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. Do not forget to rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. We will be back next week. 